Yeah. This always gets me. It's like in like movies when they're like the girl puts on the headphones before she goes for a run. And I'm like, girl, you about to get attacked. You're in a movie. You can't put the headphones on. And same with this guy's like, you're literally going to this place that they talked about how vandals and stuff come in there at night. You might not be alone in there. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. You're so welcome. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide, everybody. I'm Julia. I'm Terry. This week, we're talking about 2001's Session 9. Title of this episode is, It's Gonna Get Ugly. Sure is. Sure God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Tagline for this movie is, Fear is a Place. Yeah. Yeah, It's okay. okay. It's apt. I think it could be a little better. This movie is very good. I feel like it deserves a better tagline than that, but it's all right. Uh, Fear is a place. Yeah. Yeah, well, in this case, it literally is, right? And so this is uh, written by Steve uh, Gavidon, who also plays Mike in the film, and was uh, also co-written by Brad Anderson, who also directed the film. So Brad Anderson apparently had been driving by uh, an abandoned mental hospital in Massachusetts, Danvers Mental Hospital, and was entranced by it and was wondering, you know, started to create a movie around it and ended up filming there in this place that so they literally filmed in this like decaying, falling apart mental hospital, which is like the as an actor. I can't even imagine. Yeah, they said they didn't have to set dress the place. Yes. And I was like, oh, that stuff was all there. Like all the things that you find inside were there. And they're like, yeah, they literally didn't really need to set dress it at all. Like all that stuff was just kind of laying there like that. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay. I don't know how I, I don't think I could be in a movie like this that was in a play, real filmed in a real place. Okay, here's the thing though. Like if you were trying to film a comedy in a place like that, not going to work. But you're filming a horror movie. You're already supposed to be terrified. So it's already just going to like add this like authenticity to your performance. But still as an actor, I'm like, do you have to hang out there for like six weeks or something? Man. Yeah, nah. Like I wouldn't even want to eat my food. Like I, I don't know. It's just so weird. Like even like the little cemetery out there, yeah. and like everything about it. It's, it's. Yeah, you'd feel weird going to Crafty, right, in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get some red vines? Like honestly, like oh god. Um, but this film is is um terrifying, and I think that this is one of the best set in a asylum movies, like horror, because most of them feel like they've been set dressed. Right. And yeah. this one feels like you really are in this place that's been there and not been touched. And they just like left everything. And you're like, ooh. So, um, it, and this film was one of the, um, an early digital film. So if, I don't know yeah. if you noticed that it was, it looks a little bit different. Um, so this movie uh, centers around a bunch of guys uh, who work for a hazmat el- elimination company where they, uh, 
get rid of asbestos. That's their specialty. Sounds like a terrible job, but I was like, okay, these guys are going to do it. Anybody who's got to do that, because that's like, I'm sure a lot of places, because old building materials, you know, as things change and we figure out that the things that we're using kill us, like all the time. Like you're like, oh, that dye, that green dye from that turn of the century actually actually killed everybody. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. We're not going to use that dye in clothes anymore, but we also have that lead paint. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Also kills everybody. So we probably should stop. There's so many things we we use, and I'm sure there's a ton of stuff now that we're going to be like, oh, God, why do we all have that in our houses? Yeah, there's um, actually, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in front mm-hmm. of almost every apartment building in California, there's a sign that's like, there are uh, elements in this building that cause cancer. Yeah. Because almost every building that's older has lead paint in there somewhere and like it possibly could. So you're like, oh, in front of every apartment building, that's very charming and very reassuring. <laughs> yeah, I had that one in my old building and then like the diarrhea and the pool thing. So yeah. like it was real sweet up front. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so Things to this, get reminded of. The yeah. first characters that we get introduced to are Phil and uh, Gordon, who are played by David Caruso and Peter Mullen. Uh, Peter Mullen delights my heart. He is so good in everything. Because when literally I, everything, he's everything, great. He's amazing. Like because the first thing I, I recognized him when I saw this in the theater from he's in Train Spotting, um, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's he's the guy from Train Spotting. But then he's also you know he's in Children of Men. He's in all these movies, and no matter how small a part he has kills it i need to watch more of his movies because he's so good and this is great he's great uh so they basically he we start off with gordon not looking that great he already looks tired and they're like and phil's asking like how are you how's the baby you know like your sleep hasn't been great so you can like this is a new dad who's just exhausted to begin with but he looks like an old new dad so it looks like they probably had to wait or something like it's just he just looks like a guy who is already had a very long hard life but still has to keep working in this working class type of job right that's literally breaking his body probably and you're literally being exposed to as we talked about stuff that can cause really severe health problems yes. so you have this this body that's been broken down by the work you're doing and by um trying to make it and survive for his family and you can see the toll it has taken all over his face yeah because they say is. that he when he moved from england like he was doing it in england and then he came and did it here so he's been doing this for a while so but they the, you also get the sense of uh he needs the money really bad so that this is going in like we have to like he knows that so they so come, starts a des- from a desperate desperate place so yes when you're already going when you're going in you're like oh <laughs> Yeah, Sir. and trying to get, bid on a job when you need it, when you really need it. And so his negotiating isn't great. Like he's giving away stuff, concessions that he shouldn't, like talking about time. And it's like, this is a job that really should take, you should take three weeks more, probably like a month. You know what I mean? Though, really, this place is massive to like do the job that needs to be done to take out all the elements that have asbestos in it from the ceiling pieces to like there's stuff down in the um, basements. There's this, and this place is literally a huge, like it looks like Downton Abbey estate. You know what I mean? Like the size Enormous. of it. It's massive. Massive. Um, and so to give a quote that you can do to get something done in there in a week, I think is insane. Yes. So he ends up negotiating out because he's trying to really get this bid. Yeah. So they take this tour of the place and they have the guy who's telling them all about it and has how they say sometimes the patients come back to squat there that it was closed in 1985. So it's been closed for a long ass time, uh, but it's on the historical register so they can't tear it down. So they're planning to make it to this government building and like spruce it up, but they can't do anything until this is all gone. Um, and Gordy has a kind of momentary uh lapse freak out while he's there he he finds a wheelchair on a hallway that he fixates on and he hears hears something says a voice saying hello gordon and you're like and it's just that moment where they're like hey gordon they're like what and then it's out of it and so it's just a momentary thing you're like oh no already something's 
And it's creepy because they're talking about survival in that moment, too. Like, oh, this used to be like a, a, a shelter, this part of it, too. Like, it's like an old survival shelter and fallout shelter. And they had survival rations down here. And you're like, I wouldn't want to be stuck down here. And it's like, oh, but Mm-mm. you are. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And they say it's a place is so huge that it had its own church, musical, movie theater, and bowling alley. So you're like, okay, that, that tells you how big it is. Um, his own town. It's like a Titanic yeah. on the land. Like, uh, so it really had everything. So Gordon at first says uh, two weeks. Uh, so Phil says three weeks. Gordon says two weeks. Then he says one week. And you're like, oh, no. I don't think you could do that in one week. Like, I don't know anything about asbestos removal, but by the size of that place, I'm like, you can't do that in one week, man. What are you doing? But you would, he, well, not and also not do it without like bodily harm or injury. Because yes. the thing is, when you're trying to work that quickly, when you're doing that type of a job, that's when you start making mistakes. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to rush a job like that, and that's what you know. You're like, oh, you literally are setting yourself up for failure. It's like you know when like those, it's like those shows, like those baking shows. I was somebody was talking about British Bake Off. And they're like they didn't give enough time for them to set that dessert properly, and you're like, mm-hmm. they never do on those shows. Like that's the mo. It's to not give them enough time so that they get disastrous results. And you're like, this is literally what you're doing. You're not giving yourself enough time. You're going to yeah. have a disastrous result. So, so there's already some tension between Phil and Gordon um, uh, there, but we because he now because Phil is Gordon's the the head guy, the captain, the mm-hmm. lead guy. So they have to kind of always do what he says. So they get the crew together again. Not enough guys. You need like way more guys for this, but they only have a few. So we bring in. Um, I imagine Mike. like ten guys would be yeah. coming in, and it's twelve fifty. Like- <laughs> no, this is like five dudes, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's not enough. Uh, so we get Mike, who's played by uh, the writer Steve Gavin, uh, jo- Josh Lucas plays Hank, uh, and Brendan Sexton the third, always we a love- pleaser. Right, I got so excited. I didn't read the cast list before I watched this. I just was like, I'm going to go in cold because I try to go in a cold as much as possible. And if I haven't seen the movie or don't know anything about it, because it's, I think it's the best. And I was so excited to see his freaking face pop up. I was like, yes, I know whatever he's doing, it's going to be good because he just gives nothing but great performances. He, it's like. true, and this mullet is epic. Um, I love it, and he just played like he's like the the new kind of dopey nephew. Like he's not that smart, but and he doesn't really know what he's doing. But they like that's that's one of who they got. But they need a young guy, and they also, you know, they clearly need some young energy, and they need somebody who's going to be able to work fast. But he obviously doesn't know what the hell he's doing at all. So he's the new guy. Um, we've got like the hardened guys, the new guys. So we've got varying levels of like also them wanting to be there, and also their purposes for being there. You know, it seems like, and there's also some tension. We find it right away, and I was like, oh, this feels like even though this place is huge. It felt like one of those like um, sci-fi horror where they're on a spaceship movies all of a sudden because it was like the tensions between the crew are already bad to before the mission begins. And I was like, oh, no, it's about to get wild. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a woman in the mix in this situation would probably be a good thing. I feel like there's too much of the dude stuff going on because we find out that Hank stole Phil's girlfriend. So you're like, oh, great. This is going to be fun. Like, why would you hire that guy? Like, just don't hire him because I understand he's a good worker, but like, this Gordon gonna... insist on it. And I was like, why are you setting these well, guys yeah. up like this? Like, why? You don't have to. And Phil even gives him a suggestion of another guy, like this McManus guy. That he's like, hey, McManus is free. You can call him up. I don't have, we're not going to have a problem. You know, he's actually a better worker than Hank, probably. Because Hank seems like a guy who like gets on the job and like fucks around a bunch. Yeah. Like, clearly his energy is like, the, the party guy he's the, he's you know maybe he's the one for levity but oof. he's like the least the least amount of work i can do in a day the better and you're like that's not the kind of guy you want for this kind of job which phil points out gordon overrides him 
So we find out uh, on the first day that there were over 2,400 patients there at one point. Uh, and they're like, why did they close it down? And nobody knows. But Mike knows uh, who was dropped out of law school. And his dad was the lawyer on the Patricia Willard Not scandal. just the lawyer. His dad is the state attorney. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. That's a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He's big wig. And they're like, dude, and you're out here doing asbestos cleaning with us. And you could have like had that be your track. So he's dealing with some stuff of like what his choices were. Yeah. But yes, he knows all about this case. This Patricia Willard scandal where there was a, a little girl who uh, says that she she was in a group. Uh, she was like a in a satanic rituals like her parents were part of a satanic cult that were uh, big into incest and terrible uh killing and eating babies and whatnot uh and so she lays out this whole thing for and they're going to have a case against her parents and it turns out when they do this exam that she was a virgin so none of the things that she had said were true so they said that she had satanic ritual abuse syndrome and yeah. so that was the whole thing and so this that scandal ruined the the asylum and they had to close it down the lawsuit and he realized that they didn't even just close they just released everybody and yeah. so like, like didn't like, find them other places to go just let them no. out of the street like oh no that's why a lot of people they were saying come back there that were there before you're like why would you come hang out here but they do because it's like where else are you gonna go yeah and there's something about that place that draws people back in too so so we find yeah. out that uh jeff who is uh brendan sexton the third has uh nyctophobia which is fear of the dark so they had blown a fuse and mike wanted him to go down in the basement he's like nope not going down there fear of the dark Can't do it you're like okay and it's funny because i feel like everybody's a little bit afraid of the dark I oh, feel, yeah. But I feel like to have like the legitimate phobia where it's I, I can't imagine. Um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I was going to have a light on, I'm sure. So, yeah. And so Mike goes downstairs because he's got to do it instead. And he finds this like box of evidence. And being the, the uh, aspiring lawyer still in his mind that he is, he's got to look at the evidence. And he pulls out, starts listening to these tapes. And you realize there's these different sessions um, that he's listening to of um, from this girl, Mary who had this repressed uh, memory therapy um, and she has all these. Um, so she has like disassociative disorder where she thinks she's different people at different times. And so they interview all her different personalities basically through the course of these sessions. And so as the week wears on, he keeps popping back down in this room to listen to these old tapes and he can't seem to stop listening, listening to them. Anytime he gets a free moment, he's down there on break time, lunchtime. I feel like I feel that though. Like that would be like I. That's what I would be doing though. Because like I, my if I, if you're like Julia, there's an abandoned mental health. You have Terry's face right now. I know you guys can't see it, but it's amazing. Listen to me though. If you're like Julia, there's an abandoned mental hospital. They've left everything. It's been there close since 1985. Nothing's been touched. You can go into the room and look at all of the patients' charts, which is terrible. You shouldn't do it. It's illegal. But there's that draw. I can imagine. I'd be like, yes. I have negative really like, draw. <laughs> Like, I would just want to, like, get my job done and get the F out of that place. That hot place was creepy as hell. And I just feel like the atrocities and the things that went on probably yeah. there, I would not want to keep being reminded of it. I also, but I get, like, if you're a lawyer, though, and your dad worked on the case, and there's something about that place that has intrinsically been a part of your family in that way, too, then sure. maybe I get why he would have a connection with that. But as a regular-ass person, like, I'd be like, no, 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 they already closed this place down for a reason. Probably don't need to know any more about it other than that. I okay. My curiosity is not in that vein. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I feel like I'm such a like 
nerd for history and learning about stuff that came before and that, that would be very I'm a but, history uh, nerd too that's why we're friends but I would not want to okay. be in there <laughs> but I have also seen enough horror movies to know that this is a bad idea Mike should stop because it's it's getting to that like hypnotic point right like you can't stop like you have to finish and like ah it's that same as the like the scientist with the Nobel Prize in their eyes it's the same thing like I have to do this I have to finish it so we find out that Gordon uh, mysteriously his leg is injured although he says it's fine he just pulled a muscle kind of skips over it but it doesn't but look he's got like good. a wet spot like that's coming through the pants so i was like "Ooh, there's something going on there like he's oozing uh, that he can't had- be good. and he's sitting outside his house you never actually see him go inside his house and i was like what's up he's in his van in his work van and it seems like he's hearing voices and he keeps grabbing this like bag of like groceries or something but you're like mm, i yeah, don't know he, this moment of like he sees his wife and his baby on the lawn and he's smiling at them uh and he's getting out of the car but we never see, see him go inside right um so hank is going around uh and he's doing not really doing his job very well and he finds a coin on the ground from 1883 and then finds another one and finds another one and goes and finds this trail of coins that leads to this hole in the wall that is just filled with antique coins but also people's like wedding rings and teeth. And like, I was never quite sure what this crematorium is that what it is. But why would there, Oh, why would there be coins in there with people in their pockets? Wouldn't they keep, Oh, over the eyes. Got it. Okay. It's pretty bad. So it's an old, old timey crematorium. And it reminded me of just like, I was like, as soon as I thought I was like, Oh, and then when he started pulling out like the teeth and like the rings and all the other things, I was like, oh, this reminds me of like the Holocaust, like mm-hmm. findings and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? We have like the piles of stuff that people would take from people like, oh, there's silver in these teeth. And he even finds stuff like that where he's just like, feels like he hit a gold mine for better it, or worse. Yeah. And you know, kinda, he's planning on kind of come back and get this stuff later and pretends yeah, like nothing's kinda, going on. I can't imagine sticking my hands in there and just being fine with it and like looking at teeth and being like, oh, I can get money for this. It's just so horrific. But he has this because well, he's a, he has a gambling addiction. So he has like this scratch card addiction. So this is something like he, as a gambler that like he's just been always been waiting for the jackpot. And here it is. And these, you know, antique coins are probably worth something too, if you're finding, you know, that stuff too. So he's like, this is all riches riches these are our, my time our time is down here so he's having that moment down there um uh, we we find out from a princess who is one of the altars of mary uh they asked the doctor asked her where she lives and she says she lives in the tongue because she's always talking and billy lives in the eyes because he sees everything uh but the third altar who we haven't heard from yet is simon and we don't know where simon lives yet so yeah. simon is lurking in the future yeah um, so we're waiting for that oh um and then um oof. they're fucking around at lunchtime and yeah, they've gotten is... chinese food and uh mike has shows them with a chopstick and they like it starts starts to be kind of goofy about because uh jeff has one of the books and he's reading about what people were committed for and yeah all and there's silly things some of them like oh like uh disappointed expectations which i thought was great <laughs> I was like, everybody yeah, well, would yeah. be committed then right like it was like did... 2020 all of us <laughs> Yes. So they so they're starting to fuck around, but then uh Mike in not a very fun way brings this chopstick up to Jeff's eye and tells them about how you do this lobotomy and you just kind of like ram it into somebody's eye a bunch of times and then uh they It takes about two minutes and you the, the only symptom you have left is a black eye. He's like the only cure you need is sunglasses. And because they're giving him shit because Mike, they're telling him, you're like, you're smarter than this job or whatever, but like, you're still out here with us. So this is kind of like, almost like it's like retaliation, like his revenge to be like, yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Here's some knowledge how right. I could fuck you up. And it's terrifying. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's, it's 
psychotic. It's not, it's yeah, not cool. It's insanely terrifying. Uh, so. And also mm-hmm. terrifying that people actually got lobotomized and probably still do. And I'm sorry for those people because that's terrible. Um, yep. So they, something that makes me so nervous about this movie. So you have this overlying dread. If you have the, you know, all the cast who are at each other's throats already, then you mm-hmm. have this like looming dangerous asylum with a perhaps supernatural element going on. But then it's also, just kind of how much of that shit are they getting in their lungs? And they're so lackadaisical about wearing their masks. And I'm like, you guys, Oh, Jesus they give Christ. each other shit about it too. Like, it like, why are you all... wearing your mask? And you're like, because uh, you need it. You know what I mean? They're like, it's insane. Yeah, they have it like all over them and they keep like touching them and like, like eating. And I was like, Jesus, guys. Yeah, <laughs> so and then finally like even like Phil later on to Gordon is like, hey, like wash that shit off of you like before you go home. Because he's not taking a shower at the end of the day. Like, like Phil's like, no, I'm showering, getting this shit off of me. I don't want to take it home. And you get that this job is really hard because you do end up taking that stuff home. And in your mind and in your body and all of that, too, it does affect you. And they talk about how, like, one little speck could, like, get in your lung and, like, builds a mucus around it, basically. And your mm-hmm. body's fighting to expel it constantly. So Hank is giving this big old talk to Jeff about wanting to um, have an, needing to have an exit plan. Um, because, you know, you, you do this job too long, you're talking about like incubating, you know, in your chest, all that stuff and everything going kind of crazy. If you don't have a way out, like it can fester and you will drive yourself literally crazy. But he, so these guys, he, he sounds mm-hmm. like he's giving advice, but he's actually just talking about himself and about how he's, you know, in this sad place where he, he feels this dream where he can escape, but he doesn't yeah. see that, see that can happen because he's like working in this asbestos company, right? totally so he goes- um, but he also talks about everyone else's though like he's like well gordon doesn't really have one like he talks about he's been doing this forever like be- on, you know in england and here and how mike wanted to be a big shot lawyer and like he still probably should and like get out of here so um but i don't know about jeff like jeff is at the beginning so it's like he's like oh whatever i'm just having a good time yeah. working this machinery and figuring it out even though hopefully i don't have to go back downstairs into the dark basement yeah he's <laughs> just one of those dudes who like doesn't think about it too much he's just gonna do the job it's cool yep. like doesn't have to worry about it so hank of course show comes back at night to retrieve his treasure uh and comes back down there with a flashlight he's got a pretty wimpy flashlight i feel like if i was going back there i'd have some fucking mega flash flashlights going on and not just the wimpy flashlight the fact that he put headphones on yeah this always gets me it's like in like movies when they're like the girl puts on the headphones before she goes for a run and i'm like girl you about to get attacked you're in a movie you can't put the headphones on and same with this guy's like you're literally going to this place that they talked about how vandals and stuff come in there at night you know what I mean? They're like, they know that like people break in here. Like you might not be alone in there. Uh, why would you put the headphones on to go down there to go hunting? But that's just his way he's doing his living his life. It's like you know? smooth jazz as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so weird. Yeah. Cause uh, when Jeff first came in, he probably knows some like heavy metal stuff. And, and, and he's like, no, no, man. And you get, you get some Yanni. <laughs> like, some Yanni. John Tesh, <laughs> yeah. which were like my favorite infomercials from PBS or whatever. Cause they used to always use them for the pledge drives back then. <laughs> I, uh, and Yanni. Yanni only listens to his own music he's got this thing he's like he's like i don't want to be influenced um by other people's music so i just listen to my own that's amazing um when i worked at uh, second spin the record store john test came in once and uh he came up to the counter and as i w- as he came up to the counter i yawned and then i was like oh i'm sorry he's like that's all right i have that effect on people <laughs> 
just like it literally is music you put on to go to bed to. You know yeah. what I mean? That'll calm you the hell down. Uh, and um, this, this music doesn't seem to fit Hank at all, which is kind of why I like it. It's like he doesn't listen to that, but he does listen to that. Uh, so he goes through to find his meal ticket. Right, He's very, very excited. But of course, uh, starts to hear noises, sees a shape and starts to panic and starts to run. And he's in this crazy room where there's just kind of gates everywhere. So they were things they would have kept the, the patients in so he can't get out. Uh, but then turns and gasps and then that's the last we see of him. So then we cut to the next morning where Hank has not shown up for work. So Phil had been giving Gordon the speech about how he needed to sack him, how you need to bring McManus in, like Hank's losing it, like you, this is just making it worse. Uh, but then they he so then he goes and he's going to call Amy, who is uh, Phil's ex girlfriend, Hank's now girlfriend, to find out where she, where he is. But he doesn't know the number, and so they're like, "Oh, but Phil, you do, or you know, because that was your lady." So yeah. uh, he's like, "Yeah, fine, fuck, I'll call her, whatever." And he calls her, and he says that Hank's run off to Miami on some like gambling thing and just never came back last night, and so they just feel like he's gone. Um, but Phil's the only one who hears this. Uh, and the other guys didn't, but he they just take him at his word. And and then Phil tries to insist we need to get McManus in. And Gordon's like, ah, whatever. Like eventually recants. But at first, like looks like they're about to like have a brawl. Yeah. And you're like, like, like you're like Peter Mullen will fucking I don't know who would win a fight between those two. I don't know, because they both seem like hard as nails. <laughs> yeah. It just fuck, right. <laughs> I don't know who would win that fight, man. They're both so intense. They uh, they would have like an intense off like if they had like a stare off like a like oh uh, like curmudgeon like man stare off like no I'm talking about like this is these are the kind of people who will like use fingers in eyes like craziness yeah. like they're going yeah. they're gonna take the other person down full brawl like it would be to the death it would yeah. be to the death yeah <laughs> huh? I vote I vote uh, Mullen Mullen gets my vote I feel like he's so scrappy Jesus he's like a little bulldog. Well, he definitely seems, yeah, he seems a little scrappier, but he's also a little injured right now and a little down for the count. He's already got like bloody knuckles and stuff and yeah. he's already like got that leg injury. So he's already starting to limp a little now because it looks like it's getting worse, whatever happened to his leg. Um, uh, and we see him a couple of times uh, calling his wife and talking to his wife and asking if she he can, she can forgive him. Uh, he can come home. Uh, she hangs up on him a couple of times and he just looks like he's really starting to lose it like we saw him tired at the beginning and now we're halfway point and i'm like oh man you don't have far to go you look like you're like not only just like mentally and physically exhausted mm-hmm. but at this moment too i was like is there are they being infiltrated by whatever spirit of mary or whatever is going on because he makes this last phone call that he's making he's making it and we realize that the cut down it's on top of mary's grave number 444 and she was in room 444 at the same time while mike is down listening to this tape of hers and um and it's getting more intense with her journey um as she's sharing her different like voices on these tapes that mike keeps listening to um so uh yeah so we, we have uh then we have this scene between uh gordon and phil where gordon uh it, it confesses to phil that he hit his wife that she had come into the house and everything was very happy there was a boiling pot of water on the stove i accidentally got knocked over and got him on the leg and in his moment of panic and rage he hit her uh and what he said you know i would never hit my wife i love my wife but she won't let him come home um he says he's staying in a motel but we all know he's really been sleeping in that van yeah <laughs> um and he you know and, and it's this and he tells he says of course like please don't tell anybody and he's yeah of course of course of course um and then phil asks uh gordon asks phil he had seen phil with some shady dudes 
uh, from the window and is like, who are those shady dudes you were talking to? And he's like, oh, they're just the guys who've been doing the graffiti around here. And I just told them to stop because we're working and get out of here. It looked like a full on drug deal like, yeah. was going down. He was buying drugs from somebody or something's going on. And this on. is when we finally see uh, how bad Gordon's leg is, which is terrible. It looks like he really, really, really needs to go to a doctor. It looks just like red, like rock lobster third red. Deg- third degree burns on his leg. It's pretty gross. And he's been not, not really taking care of it and like pouring like shit on it. That's not going to really help fix it. <laughs> no. It just looks like it's going to get infected and worse. And yeah. it's pussy and it's terrible. Uh, but he's just been like powering through. And you're like, okay. So then uh, the next morning, Phil, we see Phil in the in his van getting high before work. So clearly was buying drugs from the shady dude. Yeah. 100%. Uh, but Gordon comes up and he has to like snuff it out real quick. And they gets like gets rid of him so he can go back on the roof and like continue with his joint. Which doesn't make Phil a bad guy. I feel like buying weed's fine. But just lying to your friend about it seems... Well, when you're having to do this crazy ass job and they need everybody's faculties about them, like okay. I think that's the part right. of the problem because they they had said earlier like you shouldn't be doing drugs on this job, like all the they sure. laid, they already laid the groundwork that, that was going to be a bad thing, so you knew it was going to happen <laughs> in True. this movie. Yeah, of course. Like getting high at work is a terrible idea, and no matter what you do, but doing something like this no, it depends work. on the job. But this job, I would not probably want to be because I think there's some jobs you definitely should be high for, but this job is not one of them. Um, is dealing with this type of material and in this space and in the speed at which they need to get this shit done. Right. Um, and focus. And because there's already been safety issues um, as well, Hank has already gone missing. Like there's already cracks along the way. Yeah. And the thing is, is like all these guys are kind of fucking around, but there's like a $10,000 bonus for each of them, on the, like luring them in the carrot at the end of the stick. And if like, they finish, mm-hmm. if you can just finish, just get it together, guys. But of course, they're all going to fall apart. Mike uh, ends up tripping the breaker on purpose so he can go downstairs and listen to the tape again during work. But Phil uh, converts him and tells him, uh, tells Mike about what happened with Gordon. Like he hit his wife and he's abusive and he wants to take him off the job. And like, you can listen to me now. Uh, but Gordon catches them. and was like, Hey, I hear you. What are you guys talking about? He doesn't tell them he hears them. He's just, but they try to play it off. Like they're not talking shit about oh, him. It's so they try to say they're talking about Jeff, the young guy, like, Oh, he needs to be focused. He's not as good at the job yet. He's like, well, what's wrong with him? What does he need to do? Cause he's already heard them. And they're trying so hard to like swim around and, and say something else. And poor Jeff in the meantime has had to go down in the basement to go fix the breakers. And he's terrified because he's terrified of the dark. So there's all these things that are just really bad happening all kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that something next, whatever happens next, is going to be like either death or something terrible is going to happen to one of them as well as since Hank has already gone missing too. But uh, Jeff, mm-hmm, yeah, as he goes to go um, set the breakers and trying to come back up the stairwell, he sees Hank just kind of hanging out in the stairwell listening to his headphones and he's saying, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like in a weird trance and you're like, uh, okay. is he broken? Also wearing sunglasses, noted. And uh, so Jeff's like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Everybody's been looking for you. Are you in trouble? What are you doing? And he just doesn't answer and just doesn't respond. So Jeff books it to go tell everybody that they found Hank. But this is when they all like starting to really lose it and turn on each other. Um, and then they even ask like, hey, we didn't, where was Hank really? We're the, you're the only one who heard Amy on the phone, so to speak. None of us heard that she actually said he was in Miami. She could have said nothing. He could have not even made the phone call because he said he was would make the call. But who knows if he actually dialed any numbers or actually made a call. So yeah, he's like looking I've, at the phone. And that's you're not like, something oh. I've ever questioned in my life. That if somebody's making a phone call, I've never thought, 
oh, they're just talking to themselves, that they're faking this phone call. I right? think that all the time. Because you? people, oh yeah. Like even when you're walking around with your, like your everyone, once everyone got those freaking whatever, like Bluetooth and uh-huh. like people would walk around and be talking and look like they were talking. I was like, oh, half these people are just doing that. So they don't have to talk to other people or avoid people. Just put on music. Okay. Not every, so people just put it on their little Bluetooth and walking around. Um, so everything is coming to a head here. All, all, everything is going up to this big finale. Uh, we finally get uh, Mike, who is listening to session, session nine, nine, which is the session where we're finally going to meet Simon, where Simon is going to come out the third altar. Uh, so all at this moment, uh, the generator uh, runs out of gas. And that was like Jeff's one job, but you have to go into the dark to keep the generator going. And then you also needed to make sure she stayed fueled up. And so there's problems between the breaker and the generator. So now he's walking around stuck in a dark hallway. This sequence was amazing because you have Jeff in this hallway where he, he the lights start to flicker and he starts going, oh, no, oh, no. And he can see it coming. And then the lights start going off and you have this amazing shot of him like running, trying to like out. Uh, run the darkness and then they can't and he just starts screaming you're just like in now like your worst fear has come true and you're in this horrible abandoned mental asylum no thank you and he finds this like finally at the end of the tunnel like this little ray of light and he's just like <gasps> just having like a full-on panic attack <laughs> like oh my god that what a great moment um yeah um, yeah. and so Phil is going around. Uh, they're all they've all split up, of course, because it's a great idea. And Even uh, though they Phil, were trying to be in teams. <laughs> yes. Never, never gonna happen. Uh, nope. so Phil finds Hank down in the basement, uh, naked, uh, rocking, and again saying, What are you doing here? over and over. Um, and so we finally get now uh Simon's voiceover is going throughout all of this. So we hear the tape of session nine where uh, we find out that uh, there was this uh, incident in Lowell on Christmas Eve and it was uh, Simon had forced this girl to kill her family, basically just like cut them all up. And that's why she was in the mental asylum. Uh, but Simon uh, may be uh, more powerful than we think Simon is possibly. Um, and then poor Craig McManus shows up. It's like, hey, I'm here to help guys. <laughs> and you're like, oh, Oh, no. He was like, I'm going to get that 10 grand bonus just for being here for like a day. Great. He's like so excited. And it's like, this is the wrong time to be the new guy in this mix up. So, I mean, and the crazy thing, too, is they've got like plastic sheeting everywhere that's to help protect from the asbestos. But I was like, oh, this looks like Dexter and it looks like the kill rooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they've just literally been setting up kill rooms all over here. Um and so, uh, so we find uh, Hank, who is in some of this plastic sheeting, uh, laying there dead, question mark, uh, with a the lobotomy pick, which he had found in the crematorium hall in his eye. He's hanging out there. Just hanging out. So he's there. He's alive. He's just hanging. So Phil finds him and you're like, did, did Phil do this? Who did this? Like, was this Phil's revenge to Hank because mm-hmm. he stole his girlfriend and we don't really know. Uh, and then uh, Simon's voice shows up and tells Gordon to kill Craig with the lobotomy. Mm-hmm. So he uh, yanks it out of Hank's, Hank's face, which is the worst. Like his, like trying to like pull it out, and it's like on resisting on something, and you're like, uh, it's terrible. Lark. So he, yeah. So he, and then he does the same thing to Craig, and um, 
Then we get these really great uh, this kind of getting pieces together because they've been doing flashes of very specific like product placement, not product placement, but product placement and things that you would remember of like this Jif um, peanut butter um, jar, these Oreo cookies, like roses, like all these different things. You realize later that as they flash back again to Gordon getting in and out of the van, these are all the things that were in Gordon's bag. And these are things that have been by each one of these people as they've kind of gone down because Jeff all of a sudden like the day before had like looked like he'd gotten a hug from somebody, but also like the POV uh, was of like whoever the assailant was like stabbing him or whatever and like taking him out as soon as he'd eaten Oreo. Um, and so we have, we, we got these flashes of everybody had gotten taken out and you're like, was Simon in freaking Gordon's head? Like what happened? Did he snap? Um, and then we see the cell that Mary had been in and there's all these pictures of Gordon's family have been like slapped up in there of his wife and baby. And then you realize oh, I think the dude killed his whole family, which is why he hasn't been back home. And then you cut to him at the end here with his cell phone and there's no pieces on the phone anymore. I was like, he's never been making calls to her. Uh-uh. They've all been fake fucking calls because yeah. the phone doesn't even work. It's just his cry for help to try to like make his break in his brain better. Because he wants to, he wants forgiveness, and he keeps asking, like, "Can you forgive me?" So we realize that he says he had gone home the first. So when the night that got the job is the night he went home and uh, killed his family. So this entire movie, his family has been dead, and he's just been like pretending that everything is okay. Um, And so, because the doctor asks on the tape why why Simon did what he did with Mary, and he says, "Because they let me in, Doc. They always do." And so we find out he, then he asks, where does Simon live? And he says, Simon lives in the weak and the wounded. So when we heard uh, Simon's voice the first day when he says, hello, Gordon, that's where he like went in and possessed him immediately. So it was And he met him because he was weak and and wounded. wounded. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so you and I love this, this, this look on his, on Peter Mullen's face at the end of this film where he's so confused about what's happening like you this look of like he can't you can tell he like he doesn't comprehend what has happened at all like he's been used as this kind of husk to create to make these things but like he's not there and it's so clear in his face it's uh beautiful um i think this film is amazing it's really really scary it's really well performed uh it's a cool concept you have this amazing backdrop of this terrifying asylum i think it's one of the best asylum scary movies there is in my knowledge super creepy uh well done um want to get into some gore factor and 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 talk about this here uh gore uh not enough blood to fill a dixie cup two puddle of blood three uh enough blood to gross out the average viewer four bathtub of blood and five run for the bark bag we give this movie a four mostly for that lobotomy pick at the end (laughs) yeah it's pretty gnarly it's a lot of psychological thrill and scare and not as much blood and gore there's allusions to it but not you don't get to see all of it um, but there's definitely up, some yeah, pulling out that pick at the end. Ooh, uh, movie ratings uh, zero to five chainsaws. One, if you're desperate, two barely qualifies as a horror film. Three, seen worse, seen better. Four, not too shabby, and five, fantastical. I give this film a five, fantastical. I really like it. I give this film a four. I loved it. I I feel like I wanted a little bit more from the ending. 
Um, I just, I don't know what it was. It just felt like I was like, oh, okay. I was more scared halfway through the movie than I was by like the very end. I was like, all right, all right. Like, you know, I paused it. I definitely texted you. I was like, ah, I had to take a break and I watched a little bit of a Christmas movie and then got back into the end because I was like, I don't know when he's like, it's about to get ugly. I was like, oh, this is about to get worse. Like what is going on for these guys? What is going to happen in here? It's already terrifying. And I think my brain did worse things than they actually ended up happening and doing besides the lobotomy picks. I was like, oh, I see that coming. And to see it again, I was like, okay. But I was like, what else? So that's my only thing. But I thought it was really well acted, well done. Those guys' performances and anything Brendan Sexton the third is in, I'm just like, damn it, yeah, love. He's he, uh, he he won me an Empire Records, and I will I will love him ever since. Uh, welcome to the Dollhouse Empire Records, like all those movies. I was anyway and super Russian into. Doll. He's really good. Yes. So sweet. So thank you guys for joining us this week for session nine. Let us know if you loved it, hated it, well, haven't seen it yet. Hopefully you have because you've listened to this episode and we spoil the heck out of everything. Um, but keep joining us on the internet, on our Patreon, Horror Movie Subscribe slash Patreon. Uh, fun content plus episodes early for y'all. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. Yes. And next week, to get you in the holiday mood, we have a Christmas horror classic. We have 1974's Black Christmas. Woohoo! Oh, I'm yeah. excited. You I'm got excited Bob, too. You got Bob Clark, man. He did the, the ultimate Christmas horror and the ultimate Christmas comedy. So we got, what more could you want? What else could you want? Sweetest. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you. Bye. We do. Bye.